The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Radical Mentoring hosted a track called Activate Your Men, Transform Your Church. That's where today's audio was recorded. Make sure to go online and download a free ebook written by their founder, Reggie Campbell. It's called Fill Your Seats. Download this ebook at no cost to you by going to discipleship.org slash radical. We are a, a 501c3 nonprofit. We've got resources that are free. Everything you're going to hear about is on our website and is available to you. We are supported by men and churches who've been touched by uh, radical mentoring. I was, uh, <clears throat> I was uh, blessed to be given this 18 years ago. <clears throat> and um, now I have a couple of three great guys who are teaming up with, with me. Kevin Harris, who's the executive director, and Trey Brush. Back in the back is our uh, manager of church relationships. Just foundationally, radical mentoring is a process. It's a track. It uh, involves grouping men up in groups of eight or less with a mentor or or two co-mentors and walking with them for either nine months or a year through a series of topics. It starts with them telling their story to each other in confidence. So you you end up with true, authentic, intimate community within 90 days of the of the of the launch. <clears throat> each month you memorize two scriptures. There are growth assignments each month that start with marriage, um, includes priorities. There's a, it's, it's kind of a um, assignment that correlates with the topic of the month. <clears throat> the authentic community uh, happens within the context of the group and uh, prayer is a key element. So these five elements, once a month for three hours, the scenario goes like this. Your first thing is to get support from your senior pastor, uh, staff pastor. If you're a lay person, if you're a staff person, then you want to find your key lead mentor and just start a pilot group. Uh, Start with one group. If... uh, if this is uh, if this is something you want to move into, you can start with more, but as a minimum, start with one group. This is not to replace your current discipleship process. We're not <clears throat> trying to give you something to say. Don't do what you're doing now. This is an extension of it. This is something else you would do. This is not intended to be huge. This is something that never will go in your bulletin. It's not going to be something you're going to promote from the stage. Uh, this is going to be um, hopefully a model after what Jesus did, which was mentor in a group <clears throat> with the idea of multiplication and not just addition. We have about 225 active churches. <clears throat> uh, we're in active conversation with another 300. Uh, we have about 2,500 uh, prospective churches. Uh, and then through the course of the years, we have had about 7,000 men be mentored. And we have about 820 mentors. So we've been doing this uh, actively. For, I've been doing it for, for 18 years. But we've been trying to evangelize the process, I guess, for about, um, what? I did it seven, seven from 18, 11 years. <clears throat> These are some of the churches that, um, that do um, radical. We've got very large churches. We do very small churches. 
uh, anything from from uh, 200 people to um, 60,000 people. <clears throat> so this is not size specific. Uh, it's not you don't have to be a huge church to do this. <clears throat> we are about trying to help you activate the men in your church to build engagement of the men. We give you free access to all of our resources and the process and our role is to guide you in how to use them, how to get it started, how to ensure success and then how to evaluate the results after you have launched. <clears throat> I think the uh, idea of engaging and uh, revitalizing your church connects with the movie Peter Rabbit. Did anybody see Peter Rabbit? You guys are missing out on the greatest gospel presentation ever. It's, uh, it's hilarious, but all Peter wants to do is to go back to the garden. He just wants it to be like it was, and the only way to get there is forgiveness. It's a great movie. But my favorite character is this rooster. And uh, I think um, there's a moment in the, in the movie when the rooster realizes that he's going to, he has fertilized a bunch of eggs and he's going to have to do something. I'll let you hear it in his words. So to revitalize your church, you're going to have to be present and involved. So um, what we've learned is that every church has a core group that's usually the senior pastor, if there's a staff pastor, and then there's a small number of inner circle people. They can be the most spiritually mature. They can be the most prominent people in the community. They can be the biggest givers. Lots of different ways that they may have gotten to the table. But we believe the way the church gets better is to expand and deepen that core group of lay leaders. And so the way we've uh, figured out to do that is to do groups where the older, more mature men pour into the younger, less mature men over a period of time and help them grow to become spiritual leaders in their homes and in the church. We're not going to do this today. I'll, I, I'll just ask you, what are some of the ways you think your church could benefit from having a stronger core of leaders? So wives and children follow if the man gets committed. What else? Draws more people into participation in the church. And what would be the benefit of that? <coughs> more stability. The more spiritually mature that core is, the less divisive, <clears throat> the less reactionary it's going to be to things that happen that are not, that are really, really good or not good. Less emotionally driven. Less emotionally driven. What else? I mean, it's a real thing, but you have a stronger financial base as well. Uh, we do surveys, and our, we've done we've, in 500 men who responded to the survey from 20 different churches say that giving by the men who've gone through radical mentoring has either increased or significantly increased 58% of the time, which is which is amazing. It's not why you do it, but it's a it's a huge side benefit to having men who are, who are more um, spiritually mature. <clears throat> if we could get every man to embrace his identity, we'd solve the vast majority of problems in the church. We'd have a whole lot more disciple makers. 
because we don't we know that we are adopted sons of the king of kings but we don't live out of that <clears throat> so that's a huge one um, I love the Matthew uh, 28 19 20 translation or paraphrase from the message he says uh, where, where we are so used to saying go and make disciples he says teach everyone you meet this way of life how do you learn a way of life there's not a class on this, a way of life. You can't even define all the elements of a way of life. You, you learn the way of life by doing life together. And when you're surrounded by a mentor and six or eight other men who are believers who are figuring out event by event, circumstance by circumstance, suddenly you, you kind of wake up and say, I know how to live this way of life. Now I know when I fail, I'm not saying I got it all figured out, but I understand what it means to live this way of life. And this way of life as a, as a follower of Jesus means that you're a disciple maker. Because anybody who ever met Jesus never left unchanged. And so when, when we are living in our identity in Christ, then we will um, embrace his way of life and be magnetic to others outside. Uh, key lay leaders are people who've made the outward turn. I talk about John 10:10b. We memorize that verse under um, under the purpose theme, because he said, I, "I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, or have it abundantly." You know, I have life when I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit living with me. I have eternal life. And if I'm in a church, I have my church, I have my Bible. But all those are I statements. To have life to the full, you've got to make that turn to where you care about other people. And, and men who become the kind of lay leaders that can really power a church to the next level have made that outward turn and care about the other, uh, other people to, to help them find and follow Jesus. Men who are the kind of men you want at the core love others and they are grace givers and they are engaged with and committed to the local church confession here we started in 2007 trying to evangelize this process to churches and we we did it for three years we went through all of our money and we gave up and we started to just find individual mentors like me because I didn't do this through my church and uh and we started to just try to find individual free agent mentors who would go out and do this. And we got a couple of hundred of those signed up. And then one of my board members said, you know, Reggie, the local church is God's vehicle for the ages. you got to go back to the local church. And he was right. So we've gone back to the local church. And since then, we've had a, a, a ton of success in helping churches embrace this approach, this relational discipleship <clears throat> approach. You know, People say, well, where do you get the mentors? Well, you know these guys. These are the core people in your church. They're in that inner circle. They're the guys. Here, here's the litmus test for a mentor. Your 30-year-old son comes home, and he says, Dad, Kevin is going to be my mentor. What happens in your, in your spirit? If your spirit goes, yes, then that's probably the guy you want to be a mentor. If, if your spirit goes, 
that's probably not the guy. That doesn't mean he's a, he's a great guy, but he's probably not the guy you're going to be exuberant about having be your mentor or be a mentor. You know, Second Timothy, we quote this all the time, reliable people. Some of your best, most reliable people are not the best mentors because there are a lot of people who confuse the church with God. And they think, if I'm just at every church meeting and I just give my tithe and I just do, do, do all those things, that's not necessarily the best guy to pour into other people. People that are living the, the Jesus life and who are <clears throat> qualified to teach others. And I, we, we, we identify the teaching as modeling, not a classroom, not rows. <clears throat> that, there's a place for rows, there's a place for classrooms, but we believe that the best way to um, teach someone how to live this way of life is by modeling it. And the best way to raise up a future leader is by modeling leadership and uh, over a period of time when you're in doing life together. The, the mentors that you want, um, the mentees that you want are strong, confident, and hungry. Everyone who comes into the process is going to have to fill out an application. And attached to that application is a covenant. And the covenant says very clearly this is all about Jesus Christ, His message, His life. It is going to be, you have to be at every meeting, you have to be there on time, and you have to do your work. You have to be willing to give and receive feedback. Um, you have to be transparent and vulnerable. There's no play, wearing masks or hiding. And you have to be willing to pay it forward to others once you've been poured into. So when a guy sees that, if he's not hungry, he's not going to apply. Uh, objective, I want people who haven't figured it all out yet, but who know that they're broken, that have humility, that they are sponges. They want to learn, they want to they engage to be discipled, but also to become a disciple maker. <clears throat> Committed learners and followers of Jesus and who are willing to engage in kingdom work. These, these guys may be peripheral right now to the work of the church, but you have a sense that if they know how and they grow in their faith, <clears throat> they could be significant contributors to the church going forward. We're not uh, people, um, radical mentoring doesn't come in and do this for you. We don't mentor leaders. And by the way, we don't think your leaders have to be mentored before they can lead. We tell people, this is about life. This is about leveraging the school of experience and hard knocks to, to demonstrate that humility and that dependence on God with the guys that you're mentoring. So you're qualified to mentor by your life and by your walk and your knowledge of Scripture, which is guiding your life and your walk. So the leaders that you're going to pour into are, are uh, people that are known by your leaders. They're nominated by your current leaders that you'd have uh, be delighted to have them mentor your 30-year-old son <clears throat> and men who could be elders now or in the future. So these are the people that, as mentors, they're strong, high-potential people who may not be in current leadership roles, but you would trust them at that level. All-in Jesus followers, committed disciple-makers, meaning that they may not have a process, but they've made that outward turn. They care about other people. <clears throat> 
If they've been uh, discipling individually, one-on-one, yay. They've already tried it. They've already experienced it. And what you're going to do is just give them a track to run on so that there is a, a beginning process and an end to the process. <clears throat> Guys that are engaged in this as mentors have to care about younger people. You can't minister to anybody you don't love. It's just not the way it works. So uh, when I pray before my sessions, I say, Lord, what would you have me know about my meeting tonight? And every time I get the same words, just love them, Reggie. Here's a big one. This is a facilitation model. <clears throat> this is not a teaching model. Uh, I, I'll tell this story, but a guy had, had heard about Radical in my old church, and he just retired as a very successful executive at an insurance company. <clears throat> so he got six guys together. He said, I want to I take you through Radical Mentoring. And so he got the six guys they came to his house and he talked for three hours. Next month he had four. He talked for three hours and the next month nobody came. Nobody wants to sit and listen to somebody talk, even if they are really brilliant. That's not how we learn today. So this is a facilitation model. I, I try to always talk less than the guys talk, at a minimum. I want to ask them, what do you think? What do you think? What would you tell Eric? What, what do you have to say for Jack? <clears throat> so it's a facilitation, not a teacher model. Here's another big one. If you're not willing to tell your story, I mean the full-on, ugly, dark corner version of your story, don't do this. Because that's what binds these groups together. This is where growth happens. Because it takes humility to tell your story. And so you've got to be willing to go there in confidence because if you do, your guys will. The first month after the launch, you will tell your story. The next month you go on a retreat and they all tell their story. So that in 90 days you have community with guys that are committed to each other who all know their ugly, dirty corner and dark corners of each other. And then you start this pathway Identity, theology, grace, prayer, character, priorities, marriage, fatherhood. You can construct it any way you want. We have a, a recommended path for nine months or a year, but it starts with the inner man. Identity is, is at the core, and it moves to the outward man. Here's the other one. These three are, are the, big, the big ones. Are you willing to set and hold others to a higher standard? Are you willing to get in a guy's grill when he's not telling the truth? Are you willing to get into a guy's grill when he's not doing his work or when he comes in late? And that doesn't mean Sergeant Carter chewing you out. It just means that you say, no, this, you know, we, we, we're going to start on time and you need to be on time next time. Yeah, it really does. Because once you, you can always loosen, but you can't ever tighten standards. And we explain this. This is not the Marines. This is the Navy SEALs. I don't know of any other ministry that, that um, puts the kind of requirements on guys to be there and be on time uh, that, that radical mentoring does in its best implementation. So let's assume that you're interested in embracing building this core of men in your church. 
the first thing you're going to do is get the staff, senior pastor, and a lay leader that you really look up and respect to be sort of your core team. You, senior pastor, really all he's got to do is agree and support you, maybe sign a letter, record a little video to invite guys to apply. But even before you invite guys to apply, you pick your mentors. You've got to vet those guys very carefully. See previous list of, of uh, qualifications. So now if you've got <clears throat> three mentors, then you've got a maximum of 24 seats because the most you want to put into a group is eight. So now I've got 24 seats. How do I pick the 24 guys or um, how, how do I fill that out? So now I'm going to go and think about who in my church could benefit from being mentored through a process like this? You got to be careful because if you invite your current leaders to be in this, they will choose this and drop out of leading in other areas of the church. So it's best to have current leaders nominate people who may not be in roles of leadership today or may be in administrative roles, parking lot team, or whatever. <clears throat> But you don't want to, to, to take current leaders out of roles where they're contributing. Um, and, and one of the reasons this, this works so well, because it's three hours once a month, anybody can do that. You know, a senior pastor can do that three hours once a month and still Sunday, make all of his Sunday sermons and do all the things that he's required to do. <clears throat> so if you have uh, some churches use co-mentor pairs, so they'll have two mentors, co-mentors for a group. Um, we recommend that four to eight mentees in a group. And um, so you're, you're inviting them on a journey that's going to start with applying and then meeting up for um, to collaborate calendars. This is the only ministry we're aware of where the program <clears throat> is uh, built around the calendar of the participants. Because in the, in the launch night, the men come with their wife-approved calendar and they lay out all the meetings for the whole season. And from that point, it's just about defending those dates. It's not about, not about selecting a date. It's like, okay, we got it all laid out. Now we just got to keep not let other things take place of this. I'll tell you now, the hardest one is the second month. Uh, and the third month gets a little easier. The fourth one's easier because, you know, we have more things on our short-term calendars than our near-term calendar. So the launch night, you got them grouped up, cast a vision, they get to know each other, and then you give them their first assignment. The next month, you're going to tell your story, and they get another assignment, and then the next month, you go off for an overnight, and they all tell their stories. And so in that 60, 90 days, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's shared their stuff. And you're going to hear, I've never told this before, you're going to hear, I thought I was the only one. And it's, ama it's just amazing, the transparency. Guys are just dying to, to connect, but they've got to have a safe place where they can connect and share. It's important, I think, for them to see you know, what the journey is going to entail and what it looks like when you get there. We have on the website, there's a vision for a radical mentoring graduate, and it talks about what the guy hopefully is going to be like when he gets through. He's going to understand Scripture. He's going to have memorized Scripture by topic. He's going to have <clears throat> a, a clear perspective on spiritual warfare. He's going to have a clear perspective on stewardship. And he's going to have committed 
to paying it forward to pour into the lives of other men and make disciples. So it's a journey that starts from the inside. It's done together by the mentor and the mentees together. We don't uh, recommend you give out the topics or any of the uh, assignments in advance. I want them to come in every month and find out what next month is about. I don't want them reading ahead. Uh, I don't want to overwhelm them with, you know, the, this book, then it's this book, then it's this book. Come in, here's your homework assignment, here's the book of the month, here's the scriptures to memorize. The only thing that's cumulative is the scripture memory. And I, we do that by calling, you know, here's, here's a typical accountability on scripture memory. So, um, Reggie, isn't there something in the scripture about fear? I, I, don't, I can't remember it. And I'm obviously fishing for 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I want those guys to have a handful of scriptures that they can call up by topic in the moment when they need them. I'd rather have them know a small number of scriptures by topic than to know chapters of scripture by heart. That's personal preference from my experience with this and my own personal experience with scripture. I, I love knowing scripture, but I really love it when I need it and, I can, and it comes up. And I know to connect those two things when I am in a crisis. I'm trying to help somebody through a decision. And then there's intentionally throughout this thing. Everything we do is intentional. The guys read a book, they write a one-page net out. And when they come to the meeting, they bring a copy of the net out for everybody in the group. And there's always, well, why don't you just do that with the email? Why, why do we have to kill more trees and bring these copies? Because when a guy comes in and he doesn't have his net out, that means he probably didn't read the book. And if that, if that happens even the first time, it won't happen a second time. If a guy says, oh, my printer was broke, so fine, just email it to us before, as soon as you get home. We should have it by what, 11, 11, 15? If you meet from 7 to 10? Because I want to hold them accountable. I want them to know that I know when they're lying. <laughs> Because if you don't get the net out by midnight, that means he didn't really read the book or he hadn't really written the net out. So there's, there's just accountability throughout the whole deal. This whole thing is a counterintuitive approach to building that core. Um, we do believe that leadership is caught, not taught. And we believe that first of all, you've got to be before you can um, actually do. And then it's very much relational versus an educational context. Context. We like for mentors, uh, ideally you want your mentors to be a season of life or two ahead of the guys they're mentoring. But we also have successful cases where older souls are mentoring chronologically older people. Um, men who have walked for a longer period of time and have more in their cup that they can pour into somebody else's cup. They may be five, seven, eight, ten years younger than the people they're mentoring. If you got a choice, I would start with men who are under 40, <laughs> if you have a choice, because they are more open. They haven't figured it all yet, out yet, and you can, uh, you can see more fruit from your investment in men at that stage. Seems like the older we get, the more we just kind of got God figured out, and we're less malleable and more, uh, less flexible on how we approach things. We, we really want you to, to um, follow this model of being nominated and having men apply. Jesus didn't let anybody pick him 
in, of the 12. He picked all of his own guys. And, you, you know, without being mean, but there are guys that will sign up for anything you ask them to, particularly if you're a pastor. They, they want to be, be near you because you're, in a sense, the resemblance of God to them. So you want guys to apply, be nominated, apply, and then you're able to select the guys that you want to pour into. Selfishly, I, I just started doing this on my own. I bought all the books, and I was like, if I'm going to put this time into this, I'm going to ha open up my home every month for a year. I'm going to buy all these books, <clears throat> and you know, I want guys that are all in. I don't. I'm not going to do all this and have somebody call. Well, I got master's tickets tomorrow, or you know, my dog is sick, or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a high level of commitment because I'm making a high level of commitment. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. First of all, it's not a Bible study. Yeah, well, yeah. No, that's 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 huge. What do you think the Marines tell the other 200,000 men who apply for the Navy SEALs every year that don't even make it to the first base? Try again. Usually, it's lack of seats. You don't have enough mentors to accommodate them. And, and I don't tell people no unless I, there's a, an intense reason to tell them no. I tell them wait. I put them on a wait list for next year. I had a guy apply and he gave me a six page thick resume of all the leader development stuff he had done and he'd been in John Maxwell this and whatever. And I turned him down. And I said, you know, you'll have to apply at another time. <clears throat> and. He said, well, why? I said, because you, you don't need anything. You got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And he skipped a year, and then he applied two years later, and he came back humble. Mm -hmm. And he applied, and he's now has his own ministry. So we, I don't mean to be critical, because I've been a part of it. I'm still a part of it. I just, I just met with my pastor and gave him you know, five ideas on how to get more people to come to church. So I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But we spend way too much time trying to make it big and get people in the seats and not enough time really pouring into a smaller group of people and sending them out. I left my last church because the pastor was all about just get them to church, get them to church, get them to church. And I, I had lunch with him and I said, I'm in church what do you want me to do? Because <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't say, "Let's bring a bunch, let's, get, let's make the crowds bigger." You know, that's not the way he approached it. He invested in a small group of people, then he sent them out. They invested in a small group, they sent them out. So, you know, I, I do recommend, and it's in the, all the material. If you turn somebody down, you never do that with email. You do it with a phone call, and you're very respectful. And the only reason you would say no is some issue that you know of that's beyond, um, that would disqualify him. Like if you know he's having an affair. If he sees that covenant and he says he's willing to participate, if I got seats, then I'm going to take him. If I don't have enough seats, I'm going to say wait. The covenant is attached to the, to the uh, invitation to apply, so they know and they share it with their wives. So you're not taking them away from the family without the family knowing what they're, um, what they're gonna do. Uh, some of our biggest fans are wives. I had a guy come, come up to me in the hall downstairs and he's launched this in his church and he said, you know, 
you know who's coming up to me and giving me hugs? It's the wives of my guys. They're like, they're, my husband's different. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it happens. It happens a ton. And we've got a, a slide we'll show you tomorrow, but we did, uh, we looked at 88 uh, groups from 16 different mentors, no, 12 different mentors. And we, of all of those men, we had a 3% divorce rate. It's just like stewardship. Get the man's heart. You're going to have a much likelier chance of keeping his marriage together. Just like if you get his heart, you're going to get his, his uh, donations. And then um, one of the things we do and we recommend is, and I screwed this up for the first 15 years of my uh, experience. <clears throat> I would graduate my group and I would say, well, guys, I've helped you hopefully become a better athlete. <clears throat> You're going to have to ask God to help you find the right team and the right position to, to, to go into. <clears throat> and that was because I was doing this as a free agent and I had guys from multiple churches. And now that I do this under my church, <clears throat> <clears throat> like last Monday night we gave the guys five areas of ministry that are disciple-making areas. Uh, men's groups, uh, uh, high school groups, uh, middle school groups, the care ministry, and one other, I can't remember what it is. And we gave them names and email addresses, and we said, pray through where you can engage and what is your unique calling. And when we meet for our retreat on November the 9th, they will present their personal ministry plan. And that's the beauty of the church being uh, at the core of this, because they've got immediate places they can deploy these guys, whereas I kind of let them off the hook. Hey, you know, I made you a good athlete now. Go you there for, but I don't give any. I, don't, I didn't have a place I could directly plug them in. Our goal in our church is to have 50% of the men who, who complete uh, this track to be involved in disciple making ministry within six months, which I think is a ridiculously high goal because, best we know, only 25% of Jesus' guys did that. So we think we can do twice as good as Jesus. So. Yes, sir. Yes and, and no. We want them to lead men's groups. Right. We don't. It's rare that a guy will finish this and become a mentor. Okay. So we want him to, a men's group is one of those. A men's group, a couples group, a high school group, uh, a middle school group, or a care ministry. That's the, that's the five options we, and we also say, if it's outside the church, if it's in a parachurch ministry, that's, that's okay. It, it's just it's just not the parking lot. It's not hosting. It's not things that don't leverage what you've learned about walking with Jesus. But it's their <clears throat> it's their job. Did you say it's rare for people to become mentors? Immediately, yes. That's a little surprising. I would have thought that would that would be encouraging. I don't think so. I may have <clears throat> I don't remember exactly. It was a high percentage, but I don't remember if it was to start mentoring groups or not. Yeah. Well, I. I I don't remember the number at that time. So is there a reason is there a reason why you don't encourage them to after they've gone through it to pay it forward as you I think you mentioned before and start mentoring? There's a guy in my group um, right now that does not have the emotional intelligence to facilitate a mentoring group. Okay. Could could he deal could he do a one on one or a two on one? Yes. But to be able to throttle a talker down without humiliating him, 
to be able to cut somebody off who's talking way beyond his knowledge level. <laughs> That's a skill, that a facilitation skill that, you know, a guy at 40 who's, who's been a construction manager may not have. So that's the, the biggest thing, is just that, that maturity to be able to deal with the, and the discernment as well, to be able to, to get a guy to open up and to be able to challenge him with good questions that hold the mirror up to him. These are the topics that we, uh, we recommend. Um, I, as I said, we start with identity, then theology. How does God see me? How do I see God? Prayer, purpose, calling, priorities. So we've got a recommended nine and a recommended 12-month track, and we really recommend that you do it straight out of the box the first time through because these books have been thought through. They've been tried. Um, you know, there, there's, there's just a tendency to say, oh, but such and such a book is really great. I want these guys to read that. And it may be a great book, but it may not fit so much in this context. I'll, I'll tell you, I don't have an identity book that I'm in love with yet because I think that's the most important book and maybe my standards are unrealistic. Um, <clears throat> Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith is a great theology book. Um, I think one of the greatest weaknesses in the church, as was said earlier from the platform, is we don't know how to listen in prayer. We talk, 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 but we think God is mute. And I don't think that's accurate. I know it's not. Priorities, purpose, um, so. Those, those are our recommended topics. Uh, here's kind of the secret sauce. Having done this for 18 years, uh, what I've learned is the, the number one thing is the intentionality. It's like I was mentoring guys for 15 years one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't take them on a journey. I was issue of the day. You know, I, I, would, I would quote scripture. We would do Bible study sometimes. But I was just more on-call ministry of accessibility. And when I started doing this, it was very intentional. And it's changed very little in 18 years in terms of the process itself. Um, the high bar is, is a huge part of this. I mean, guys want to be challenged. They, they really do want to be challenged. And that, that is, I think that's one of the, the secret sauce things. The fact that the calendar is built around the men is huge. There is a process where a date can be changed. And briefly, here's how it works. <clears throat> if I'm going to lose my job if I don't go to a meeting in, in Detroit, then I call my mentor and I say, I'm going to lose my job if I, <laughs> if I don't go to Detroit. I need to change the meeting date. The mentor would give me multiple dates that he can do it because he's the, he's the boss. It's his house. So he gives, me, he gives multiple dates that can be changed to. The guy with the problem then has to solicit everybody else in the group to find a, a unanimous date that it can be changed to. And it really needs to be within a couple of weeks because remember, you're reading a book every month. You change it to three days before the next meeting. You've got three days to read a book and then this doesn't work. So those dates, the mentor has to sort of guide that. If he can find the date that everybody agrees to, then the date's changed. If he can't, then you have the meeting, he misses, and I believe it's grace and truth. I think you hold up the truth and you hold that really high. As soon as he makes a decision, then you become grace. And that means he gets back from his trip, I go meet with him, I go over everything that was said in the meeting. I give him his next homework assignment. He brings his net out. 
So I'd minimize the damage, but there's always damage because there's stuff that happens in every meeting. A guy shares something, you pray for somebody, there's something that he misses because he's not on the train when it stops in that station. I, I say again, the covenant talks about confidentiality, and, and there's always a, a, a test of, well, how much of this do I share with my wife? And I say as little as possible, because there again, the wives in churches often talk to other wives in churches, and the, the universal gossip permission statement is, tell me all about that, I need to pray for her. <laughs> so we, you can get into trouble with that. My wife, I think, got in trouble the other day because she asked somebody a question which indicated to that person that I had told her something. It was a minor thing, but she's worried to death about it because she shouldn't have asked that question. Yes, sir. Vulnerability and love, I talked about that. I mean, if you, if you will go there, they'll go there. And, I, you know, God, God is not going to, he's not going to take a, jerk a mask off somebody so they can see him. And, and I've got a guy in my group this time, he talks about his pedigree mask. He said, I got a mask, it's a pedigree mask. I've been wearing it so long, it's, you can hardly tell it's there. And what's sad is that we're in month eight and he's still wearing it. And I don't know, I don't know. That's another thing, trust the process. You're not fixing people. God's gonna do his work and you're pouring into them, but you're not responsible for the outcomes. If you, I had to rank my 136 guys top to bottom in terms of spiritual progress, number 136 was a guy named, um, um, God, what's his first name? Jeff. I thought Jeff got nothing out of radical mentoring. Nothing. Go five years down the road, I get a call on Saturday, and he has backed his boat over his little boy, Mastercraft this big propeller underneath. Through a series of miraculous events, they get the little boy, <clears throat> he, he tied off his thigh with a tourniquet because it cut the femoral artery. Got him to Emory, within 45 minutes of it happening, I got to the hospital with my wife, I hadn't seen him in five years now, and I get there and he is so peaceful, and he is praying, with people that are there. He's sharing his faith with the doctor. And I'm like, this is weird. His wife takes me aside and she said, you probably don't recognize him, do you? I said, it's not the way I remember him. He said, she said, about four years ago, he had a breakthrough and he surrendered, finally surrendered. But he tells people it started in your group. He planted that mustard seed. Yeah, he just held out. But man, he, he inspired me and he gave me faith, confidence that this process has an effect even though you don't see the fruit for sometimes for years, maybe not ever. If everybody did this, here's what the church would look like. I think that circle of male leaders would grow strong. I believe the weekday ministry uh, could be as good as Sunday. I think this offers a chance to bring about life change, for God to bring about life change with a lot, with not any new money or any new staff. Um, I think the, the men have gone through, have demonstrated that they will give more time, energy, and money to the church after they've been discipled. And uh, I already quoted the statistic on divorces, stronger men, stronger marriages, stronger families, and a stronger church.
Yes, there's, if, there's a link on there if you'll just type that in. It's radicalmentoring.com forward slash disciple makers, um, disciple maker, and that'll take you through a landing page. All is free. We don't sell our lists, so you have to give us, give us your email address and a little bit of information about your church, and you're into the content. And so you can, we got videos on every topic. There's every detail that you would need to train your mentors, pick your mentors, launch groups, everything's there. Yes? All the way down to agendas. Um, conver we call them conversation guides. We've got agendas that are this long, which is type A agendas, you know, and we've got um, Bible study fellowship agendas that tell you what questions to ask, how to explain this scripture, how to, you know, I mean, it's all, all as detailed or as non-detailed as you want. Yes, sir? Um, can you explain why, like, you only meet, like, once a month instead of weekly? Yes. The, number one is um, three hours gives you enough time to really do life together. I'll spend an hour every meeting just highs and lows, guys telling what's going on in their life. I have a list of questions, and I'll rotate them around. I'll say, okay, tonight we're going to get going by... Uh, Share with the group, if God would answer one prayer for you, what would it be? Or I'll ask, um, what was the emotional low of your month but since we were here last time? So just some open-ended question, and everybody shares. And sometimes we can, we can spend, you know, I, you, you have to kind of just wind it down after a while because they'll just keep going and going and going. So it, it's, that, that's, that's the deal. You will find over time that the, the more frequently you meet, the lower quality mentors you'll have. It's counterintuitive. But the, the guys that are already leading, they're probably successful in their families. They're probably successful in their, in their work. And so when you start saying you've got to be at the church every Friday from 6 to 7.30 in the morning, that's not as attractive to those guys. That's just a lot. That's an onerous commitment. But once a month for three hours is not an onerous commitment. You can do it in the summer. You know, as long as you're not scheduling on somebody's pre-planned vacation. I do. I go right through the summer, June, July, August, just like any other month. Here's what here's what the process requires. After they've applied, after you've told them your story, and after they've told their story. In that next 60 days, you're going to get together with each of them one-on-one. -on -one. And you're going to ask God, show me what I, can, what I can hold up the mirror to this guy about. What's he holding back in his story? I had a guy, <clears throat> we did Wild at Heart as a second book. And I had a, this guy, like, oh, I don't have a father wound. My dad is great. He was, he's, he's awesome. And so then he told his story. He said, I couldn't wait to get to Georgia Tech so I could get away from my family. And he didn't, he didn't even remember saying that. But when we got together one-on-one, -on -one, I read it from his story because I, I write down everything they say. I said, square this up with me. I'm going to find out he does have a father wound. His father set such a high standard for himself, it's all performance, it's no grace. And that's his perception of God. So we talked through that. And uh, so it's, that's the kind of thing you talk about one-on-one. -on -one, so. You hit those one-on-ones in the next 60 days. So 
Four months in, you've had three sessions. You've been one-on-one -on -one with each of your guys. And remember, each month, they are one-on-one -on -one with another guy in the group. So, <clears throat> and they have a, a specific topic to talk about. So, um, guy number one meets with guy number eight. Guy number two meets with guy number seven. Guy number three meets with guy number six. And next month, you switch it around. So, over the course of eight months, every guy gets one-on-one -on -one time with every other guy. Usually during the year, I'll have other one-on-ones with a guy, like there's a guy that I've got to get with because he's just got blinders on, the guy with the pedigree mask. So I've got to get together with him one more time before we, we finish because I, I, I feel like I have something I need to tell him. But if you do that, that, that just, it just evolves. Now there are groups that just, I mean, I talked to a guy, the guy that stopped me in the hall, he said, we had a dinner with the guys and their wives before we launched. You know, and we have, we meet for coffee every other week and depending on how social you are and how much the guys really enjoy being with each other, you can throw in as many things as you want. We just don't want to make it so uh, a requirement and make it onerous enough that they will neglect the, the core thing. This is not about creating a community group of disciples. This is about creating a motivated, capable, encouraged, equipped disciple maker to go create another group where he can replicate the experience he had in this group. The goal is for him to be a disciple maker. So he experiences community. He experiences trans, uh, trans, um, transparency. He, he um, memorizes scriptures and he, he learns how to hold people accountable without making it feel like a sword drill. And that's not so he can come back and do it for another 12 months. That's so he will go and do it with a person or a group or his men's group or whatever. So the website will sort of capture the different categories of stuff that's got to be done, but there'll be specific things around if a guy shows up late, how do you navigate that? Because what happens is if the standards get lowered once, then it's, then it's really bad. But if somebody forgets his homework, I mean, it's grace and truth. It's, sure. We signed the covenant. Mean, you always got the covenant. They've signed the covenant. They've turned them in. So it's, it's what you signed and committed to. Let's just make sure that doesn't happen again. And it won't. And then none of the other guys in the group will because they sort of see that, okay, this is how it's going to be handled. I don't, it's not a shaming thing by any means, but it's just that we're trying to do something here. My time as the mentor is important. And so I want you guys to make sure you're pouring into this as much as I'm pouring into you. And so... You'll, you'll see some of that sprinkled through the website. Okay. <laughs> and the question was, is there resources on the website that tell you how to handle uh, out-of-the-box situations and questions? Yeah, because I was more looking at going, you know, at some point, even though they've signed the commitment, they know what the commitment is and all this, if you have somebody that's continually not living up to that at some point, you say, after you've done talks and all that, this program's not for you right now, obviously, until you have a different season in your life. I, I, I say that when, when you are at that point of frustration and you see the guys not conforming to the process, then you, you, could have, you, you could have that conversation to say, look, this just doesn't seem like the right time. Uh, I, I had that conversation with, with a mentor from North Carolina, from Nags Head, just the other day. So he's got a guy that really wanted to be in it so bad. And every month is a series of excuses. He dominates the conversation. He's not doing his work. 
So he's going to be a difficult guy to deal with regardless. But you know, hopefully I gave him enough courage through the conversation to go and, and confront the guy. And it's, it's not to say you're out of the group, right. but unless you can get on board with how this works, then maybe you need to do it another time. So the door is open for him to get, get a little straighter. Sure. Yes, sir. By meeting that infrequently, does that help to fit in um, with busy church schedules? Um, I'm Southern Baptist, and we kill our people with doing too much stuff. And sometimes it's a juggling act to find meaningful ways of developing people. Yeah. Well, I, the, I just made it up, okay? This is not divine providence, but I haven't found anybody who, who has struggled with once a month for three hours. Um, you can still do all the other things in your church. You can have, hold other roles. Um, you know, it, it is weird. I can miss elder meetings at my church, but I can't miss this meeting. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's onerous. You, you are reading a book a month, and, you, and that's a that's a new thing for for a lot of guys. I hear of guys doing audible books on some of those. I don't think that's a very good way of doing it because you got to then turn around and net it out. And it's guys will stick it in and try to listen to it in the car, which means they'll they'll get a, a little less retention than if they read the book and marked it up. But um, does that answer your question a little bit? Other questions? So. What I've heard you say and what I've read on the site, you say nine or 12 months. Mm -hmm. Which of those do you recommend if you have a preference and why? And then the topics that you set out for the books, there was 10 of them. So how would that fit in to that model as well? Well, you're going to have one month, that's the story retreat. Uh -huh. And then your last month is a commencement. So that's how it fits in with the year. So if you go with the 12, that answers that? Correct. Okay. I'm a fan of the 12 month personally, um, and, and, but I've done nine. I've done nine months for the last four, uh, three years. Okay. If you go beyond 12, you start repeating yourself. You know, it's, I use the analogy of taking what's in your cup and pouring it into somebody else. You forget what you poured. Sure. <laughs> and so you just have to be careful with that. But I think, and my primary reason for not liking 12 months is there's just topics that you don't get to in nine. Okay. Like you, we don't get to fatherhood in nine. And there's a book called How to Really Love Your Child that's a game changer. And it's simple, easy to understand stuff. So it hurts my heart to not do that one in a nine month track. So yeah, so you're I'm just be missing out on some things. Some of the topics are just good enough that you just couldn't. It's it's hard to sacrifice not doing it. Yes, sir. Um, I think you said this at the beginning, but this is not a typical. Like if a church is looking for a discipleship program, this is not a typical program because this is basically raising up men who can go start discipleship program, but this is more of what adjective I'm looking for, but. Chad, <clears throat> Chad Moore in the back here is, is on our board, and he's a senior pastor of a good-sized church. Would you share the, with these guys about your paradigm of 101, 201, 
301, I'm going to get you on the mic here. Pastor Church, and this happened for me on a Friday morning where I was leading a, a basic men's group. It was 6.30 in the morning until 7.30. Just classic like everybody does. I've been doing this for about 10 years, and we had probably about 400 guys in groups. And on this particular Friday morning, we had about 12 guys that were in the group. About six guys showed up just based on travel schedules and things. And of the six that showed up, about three were prepared. Mm. And this is a senior pastor. You don't want to let senior pastor down, right? So you imagine what's going on in other groups. So I walk away from that Friday morning, and I said, if this is our primary disciple-making process, this is going to take forever. This is going to be so difficult. So um, about that same time, I heard about Reggie's book. Uh, one, of my, one of my elders actually took a group of guys through it and said, I've been in Sunday school all my life. This guy's about 60 years old. I've been in Sunday school all my life. I've been doing groups here for the last six years. In four or five months, we've made more impact than I have in anything I have ever experienced. So I started a group. Here's what I realized about six months into my first group. This cannot be our core discipleship model because if we start promoting this for everybody to do this, only certain guys can do this and women in, season, in a certain season depending on where they are. So what we decided was we would make this our kind of further faster discipleship model for whom God was calling. So we have our 101, which is our events. You come to a men's night, a women's night, just some kind of event, men's hike, whatever it is, just to get to know some guys. Then you get into what we call our 201 groups, men's groups, women's groups, co-ed groups. Those are the groups I call them come as you can. You're out of town, you got a sick child, whatever. Then we have 301, and this is our 301 primary ministry that says, do you want to go further faster? And if you really want it to go further faster, we'd love for you to be in a group. We've, had, we've now had about 250 guys go through this and probably about 200 women, and it's changing our church. But it's not the entry-level area. So, for instance, I still do a Friday morning group, but I really do that Friday morning group now to see who I'm going to invite to the Radical Mentoring. Because everybody has to have an entry point. If you meet somebody in the worship center on Sunday and you say, hey, are you in a group? Why don't you come to my group on Friday? I can't say come to my radical mentoring group next month. So I say come to my group on Friday. It's a great entry level. But it, my Friday morning group and our basic discipleship model will not reproduce disciples for the masses. Now here's what we do. We find the one person in your Friday morning group that's a rock star. That person got in the group, he's fired up, he reads all the material, he goes and reproduces the group. So we put him on video and we say, here's how you do it. And really that's about 10% of the people. So I just want to really encourage you as you look at your model of discipleship, keep your core model as an entry point. But this is a great enrichment to go further faster. And your 301 people become your 201 leader. My church calls this whole thing leader development groups. Their stated purpose for the groups is to develop leaders for other groups and other ministries within the church. And we will, uh, we will, um, all the downloads, all the the handouts, everything is there, and you can download it as a PDF and brand this as radical mentoring. You can download it as a dot doc, and you can change the name and you can tell everybody you invented it because <laughs> we know you're a lot more committed to your own ideas than you are to ours we are totally fine with that just don't sell it because we don't sell it so you can make it your own we have um, churches that call it lead we had for a while we had a church called iron mentoring from iron men uh, so you can call whatever you want in your context it'll be just fine with us 
You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook called Fill Your Seats at discipleship.org radical. You'll find dozens of other great resources just like this one at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.